Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future, the series where we look into how innovation in FSC can help save our forests. Because we all know that forests will play a key role in combating climate change and the biodiversity crisis that we're facing. In this series, we explore how innovation, especially within tech tools, but also more broadly, can help us protect our forests and support the mission of FSC, which is to ensure responsible management of our forests worldwide. Today, we are going to dive into one of the core elements of FSC, our systems integrity. The promise behind the FSC label is fundamental to everything that we do, and it is key for us to make sure that that promise is upheld. That is also why we take the integrity of our system very, very seriously, and why we've ramped up our investments in systems and in staff working on integrity over the last many years. In this episode, I have a conversation with Mark Jessel. Mark recently joined FSC as our Chief Systems Integrity Officer. I invited him because I was curious to learn more about what our next big focus areas are in integrity, how they all interconnect, and what it will mean for stakeholders. Let's hear what he said. Hi, Mark, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, Laura. Can we just start with the basics? What is the system integrity program cover in an organization like FSC? Well, Loa, I think first of all, uh, just to be clear about what we understand when we talk about system integrity. A system that is exposed to threats and attacks and still manages to do what it's intended to do is a system that enjoys system integrity. So really, if you put that into an FSC context, what we're interested in is ensuring that the scheme as a whole is resilient to attacks on its integrity. So our program is multifaceted. It looks to use normative frameworks. It looks to use technology. It looks to use investigation tools. It looks to use risk-based tools in order to be able to form a holistic overview of how the system is faring against these different attacks and threats on it, and to put in place measures that enable us to protect it. Why would we need such a program? We have audits. Shouldn't that just cover it? The truth of the matter is that audits do take place, and of course they serve a purpose. But in many respects, if you look at how we've evolved as a scheme over the past 27 years, we're so much larger than we were. And we are realizing that our system integrity program has to evolve, has to grow at the same pace as the scheme itself grows. And therefore, audits on their own aren't sufficient. We do find that as a result of audits, we develop intelligence that enables us to understand where weaknesses are. And then as a result of that, we end up commissioning investigations into particular supply chains. And this forms part of the system integrity approach that, that we take within FSC. So it's very much... Uh, it's not a static thing, system integrity. The methods that we had in place 10 years ago would not at all be fit for purpose today. Mm -hmm. So where are we seeing a development? Where do we need to do more now compared to earlier on? I think the first and the most important shift that we're, we're implementing at the moment 
is a shift from a retrospective investigative approach to more of a compliance approach. And that means really ensuring that the terms under which a certificate holder engages with FSC are such that it makes it very difficult to fall foul of, of our standards and norms. And just as an example, one of the most important things and really a game changer in many respects that we're introducing at the moment is blockchain. Mm -hmm. This tool that will enable the, or the transactions that take place within a supply chain to be verified from the forest all the way through to the retailer. And that's mm -hmm. just an example of a compliance tool which will really remove from us any need to carry out investigations, at least investigations on the veracity or the accuracy of transactions uh, that take place throughout a supply chain. So what you're saying is really that with the retrospective, we are looking at the past, we're looking at what happened over the last year, but with the compliance approach, we are actually looking at what's going on right now and verifying things that's going on now and not in the past. Is that correctly understood? That's correctly understood. And it's happening in real time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, sy the system is immutable in many respects. But wouldn't that only cover the aspects of FSC that has to do with the claims, like the volumes and the species and the product groups and, and not the wider FSC as such? Absolutely. Blockchain is one of a number of different tools that we will be looking to use going forward in order to ensure that compliance. It's true that a limitation of blockchain would be that if you, at the beginning of the, of the chain, you didn't have absolute certainty of the provenance of the timber, then you could potentially be passing on a false claim throughout the, the blockchain all the way up to the retailer. So what you really do need is to add another dimension. You need to put in place tools, systems that enable the certificate holder and the FSC to ensure that the, that the timber comes from a, a certified source. And that is where wood identification technology comes in. There are different methods that can be put in place to ensure that samples are tested against a reference sample. It will be done as per a particular inspection regime, and that can provide a certain level of assurance that the timber is coming from a certified source. Very interesting. I'm thinking, is this unique to FSC? Or is this something, this need to have systems integrity and focus more and more on this area, is this something that, that we are alone in or is that something that's a given for all different certification schemes? In many respects, we are a, a unique certification scheme. So the precise way in which we have to go about managing our system integrity probably is unique. But the need to be able to assure ourselves that would products that are purchased at point of sale come from a trusted and verified source, that need is only going to increase. There is a growing demand for, I would say, schemes that do what they say they will do, essentially. Mm -hmm. and that's really where we come in. I think that system integrity is very much an integral part of the FSC brand. A lot of the value that is derived from the FSC brand stems from the way in which we manage our system integrity because that's, at the end of the day, what makes people trust or not trust our scheme. 
Mm-hmm. Is this something that you're also experiencing more demand from certificate holders? There is a lot of demand from not just certificate holders, but FSE stakeholders as a whole for systems that do what they're meant to do. So I would say it's perhaps not so much a question of demand, it's just an expectation really that in order to be able to trade in wood products, people need a certificate that is trusted. And that's where system integrity plays a key role, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I actually like because you are relatively new inside FSC. How long have you been here for three months or so? It's nearly five, in fact. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so what did you anticipate when first joining FSC would be your main focus areas? I thought that my main focus area was going to be to oversee investigations. I thought that was primarily going to be my role. It was going to be to work with our assurance partners and with certifying bodies to ensure that we're investigating the right areas and that the investigations lead to outcomes that we can take action with. Yeah, that was my main expectation. Is that what you are doing then? I would say there are two fundamental things that have changed since I've come in. I think the first thing is to say that I've stepped into the role at a stage when we are making this shift, a really quite profound transformation from the retrospective investigative approach to this compliance approach that I was describing a little bit earlier. So there clearly is going to be a role for system integrity to accompany the whole process of rolling out blockchain, of introducing new technologies, including Wood ID technology. And I think the second big difference really is that a new set of challenges has been brought into system integrity. And that is how we protect and manage our policy for association. So the dispute management and the whole transformation sides of dispute management are now under system integrity. So overall, I would say that my job is quite different. And I think transformation really being quite a a common thread throughout my job in system integrity. Can we just spend two words on what policy of association is for those that don't know about it, if they aren't really that familiar with FSE? Yeah, so it's a list of six activities that any organization that associates with the FSC cannot engage in. Those are illegal logging, violation of traditional and human rights, destruction of high conservation values, significant conversion of forests to plantations, introduction of genetically modified organisms, and violation of any of the ILO core conventions. Mm -hmm. So all these things people can't do, or not people, but certificate holders of FSC cannot do neither in the certified areas nor in non-certified areas that they might have or manage. Exactly right. And that's the key thing. It doesn't purely apply to the areas that are certified. It applies to any activities that they or their subsidiaries are involved in. Mm-hmm. And what's going on in that area now, since you're saying that's now a focus area that you didn't expect? A lot of transformation that's taking place at the moment. The policy for association itself is is being revised and it's being consulted upon this year. The the policy for association complaints procedure has already been uh, revised and is now in place. So what we're going to see over the next year, and it will really come together Uh, roughly in May, June 2022. By then, what we will have is a a very clear objective mechanism that enables us both to deal with 
companies that have fallen foul of the PFA, of the Policy for Association, and also importantly, will enable us to put on a roadmap those companies that have fallen foul of the PFA, where they decide that they wish to come back into the organization. So this is something that has very much evolved over the years. We haven't had huge number of cases, but when we do have cases, they become very quickly high profile. And we, within FSC, want to ensure that when companies do end up being disassociated from FSC, there is a route back in if and when they wish to come back into the organization. Mm -hmm. Which I, I assume is good both for the company itself, but just as much for all of the stakeholders involved, because there's bound to be local communities or NGOs or other stakeholders that's been violated by whatever activity that given certificate holder made at the time. And now there's a roadmap for them to see, okay, where's my role in this reassociation of that company towards FSC? Exactly. The PFA remediation framework is, is precisely what will enable the companies to effectively repair the damages that they have caused. What lies behind all of this, I think, is in a sense, it's a philosophy within FSC, which is that we, through the membership-based system that we have, we want to and we have the ability to transform the way in which companies uh, go about their business. And in many respects, I feel that is another unique feature of FSC, this kind of ability to, through its certification system and through its procedures, not just effectively kick organizations out, but also find ways of, of remediating against the damage that they have caused in the past. With all of the layers of complexity that comes with, because of course we're talking about people, we're talking about forests, we're talking about lots of different dimensions that need to be looked at. So this transformation process that is underway at the moment is a complex one, it's quite a contentious one, it's certainly one that is subjected to a lot of consultation with a very wide range of different stakeholders. But I'm confident that by the time we have completed that process, we will have a system, a set of procedures that will really help us deal with these cases, both in terms of disassociating and in terms of ending disassociation. Mm -hmm. But I guess also help our stakeholders because we then will have definitions and processes in place. That's absolutely right. Absolutely crucial for everybody to be on the same page. And this is really what lies behind all of the consultation that is taking place. It, it is very much about ensuring that there's broad-based support for the procedures that we put in place. Mm -hmm. So if I were to ask you, what are the three focus areas, your three main focus areas that, that you were going to work on now? It sounds like that would be blockchain, Wood ID, and policy of association framework. Would that be right? Yeah, I mean, those are those are absolutely crucial pillars. I'd probably add another one, which mm -hmm. is going to be also quite transformational. And the, it speaks to the way in which we deploy our system integrity tools. It's all about how we move towards a risk-based approach. So we're in the process of operationalizing a new procedure, which is called the Procedure for Risk-Based Interventions. And what it's going to enable us to do is categorize countries 
and supply chains in accordance with certain risk criteria. Now, what's crucial, of course, here is that you have very robust systems to ensure that the criteria can withstand scrutiny. So what we're doing is we're using a combination of historical data that we have gathered. We obviously have a great deal of data that's been gathered over the past 27 years, and we're doing a pretty significant piece of work aimed at identifying which particular data sets we want to use in order to be able to evaluate risk. So that is data that is inter internally generated. And we're going to couple that with other data sources that are in the public domain that are well recognized. I'm thinking of the Corruption Perceptions Index, for example, and there are other sources. And we're going to bring together these different data sets and develop a mechanism that enables us to categorize by supply chain and by country. And that will really enable us to make a pretty significant shift um, I mean, I'm not saying that we operate a one-size-fits-all mechanism. It's not quite as blunt as that. But I think we'll certainly be moving to a much more customized approach, an approach that will take account of the level of risk that particular certificate is dealing with. And that will mean that our investigative approaches, our system integrity as a whole, will become a lot more efficient. We will put our resources where they matter most. So right now we gather intelligence from audits and when there's a certain level of things or red flags, we launch an investigation into that supply chain. That investigation then might end up in that being a high risk supply chain. So therefore we talk about integrity measures right now. It's transaction verification where you supply your transaction data and we match it up. It sounds like it might be blockchain in the future. But what I understand is we are now building a, a procedure and a system that will actually enable us to identify those high-risk supply chains at a much earlier stage. That is exactly right. We're, we're really moving from a more reactive approach to an approach which is based on, on real data. And uh, I think it will have quite a profound impact. I mean, it essentially means that if you're operating in a relatively low-risk environment, the auditing protocols will be adapted to that. If, on the other hand, you're in a much higher-risk environment, you can expect a, a much greater degree of oversight from certifying bodies and from our assurance partners. Mm -hmm. So actually, it sounds like this is one of the first steps towards us actually implementing what we've talked about for a very long time in our strategy is the risk-based approach to audit. Exactly, exactly. And, and I know that this has been uh, quite a long time coming, mm -hmm. but uh, I think we've probably got the elements uh, in place to be able to do it now. There's still some work to be done in terms of really agreeing on what the mitigation steps will be, what the what those auditing protocols are going to look like. And of course, some of the tools that I've mentioned earlier on, including Wood ID and including blockchain at the moment, they're not really part of the system integrity toolkit, or at least not systematically. But I think looking forward, there is a very strong likelihood that we will be looking to use those different tools much more systematically in high-risk supply chain contexts. Mm -hmm. Would you say that the, this whole new uh, protocol and, and system, would that be for both chain of custody and forest management, or would it primarily focus on chain of custody? It, it is focused on both. Obviously, the contexts are quite different. Blockchain obviously lends itself to chain of custody much more logically than to FM. FM meaning forest management. <laughs> yes, ap apologies for using the acronym. 
So can we just then go back? Because I'd like to know more about this whole wood identification part. We've been working with wood identification for quite some time. So what are we doing now? What's the approach that we have now on it? Well, I think that there's probably two shifts that are underway. It's true that we've been using wood anatomy testing for a long time. I think that we will be using other technologies more systematically, stable isotope testing. There are other techniques that can be used that enable us to test against reference samples in a much more systematic basis rather than going to the trouble of actually having the wood sample stored somewhere. And that obviously becomes very important when you look to move to a much more systematic usage of wood ID technology. The other thing I would say is that we're now interested in supporting certain global initiatives aimed at gathering or compiling a global database of wood species. We think that it is integral to our role, but it is in the best interest really of everybody in the sector for us to have an access to an open source a database of, of all species. There's, I would say, quite a lot of interest in using Wood ID much more systematically than was the case before. I actually did a full episode, I assume, on the endeavor that you're talking about, World Forest ID. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, That's exactly right. Yep. Which we were the founding partners from in FSC, so there's a full episode. I'll link to it in the description on what that actually means. But I think one of the beauties of that whole setup is one thing that is that FSC has auditors on the ground, and we're in a unique position to actually capture these wood reference samples from around the globe. But also that when you get further down the supply chain, it's a relatively cost-effective way of ensuring that what you think you're buying is actually what you are buying. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. There's a strong business case for the usage of these kind of technologies. It is going to be, obviously, gathering samples from forests in every corner of the world is no small endeavor. Mm -hmm. um, it is pretty significant, but it is going to require a concerted approach, which is why linking up with other consortium members under an organization like World Forest ID for us makes a lot of sense. Obviously, it means that everybody needs to sign up to the output being mm -hmm. open source and available to all. But that's something that we're very much committed to. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And then if we look at blockchain, there's also two episodes on that. But it sounds like we are now firming up on blockchain being the method for high-risk supply chains? Yes, we still have to allow a little bit of time for the, the pilots that are currently underway, both in Ukraine and, and China, to take place and for lessons to be drawn from those pilots. But the vision certainly is for us to make uh, blockchain the default technology of choice for high-risk supply chains. At the moment, the pilots are focused on relatively short supply chains. So obviously, we're going to need to test it to ensure that it works for longer and more complex supply chains. But that's certainly the direction that we're heading in. So I always try to make these podcasts a bit tangible for the listeners out there. So, so um, humor me here. If I'm a certificate holder out there, what changes do you see in the medium and midterm horizon for me? 
Well, I think the first change is going to be this impact of the risk-based uh, approach on each certificate holder. It will have a trickle-down effect. So that's something certainly to be aware of. The second, I think, change to be aware of is the advice note on false claims. This advice note will provide a lot of clarification that was possibly overdue on compensation fees, on what constitutes a deliberate false claim. It will be very concrete. The third one is blockchain, which will come to certificate holders in the medium term, I would say. And if you are a certificate holder operating in a high-risk environment, there's a good chance that at some stage in the near future, you'll be asked whether you would like to be part of the FSC blockchain program. Mm -hmm. So I think those are probably the three areas. It's risk, false claims, and the introduction of blockchain and other technologies to be brought in much more systematically than they currently are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to say, at least for the blockchain, that we are only piloting it now in, in the first supply chain. We have a proof of contract. We're piloting it now to really be sure that's the right technical solution before we roll it out. And also, of course, that it is a consortium blockchain and not a public blockchain, meaning that your data will not be open source for, for anyone. It will be kept between you and your trading partner and potentially your CB. I'd also like to ask you about the time frame for the risk procedure. What's your timeline for that project? When do you expect that to hit the ground, really? It will certainly hit the ground in six months' time. It may hit the ground a little earlier than that. We have made quite a lot of progress in terms of the methodology, the data sets. Now the piece that we're working on is very much around the auditing protocols and matching auditing protocols with the different risk uh, categories. That is something that we're we're focused on at the moment. But certainly, I'd say by the beginning of 2022, this is something that will uh, make a very concrete difference to many certificate holders around the world. I assume that once we get closer to the launch and publication of this, the, there will be a lot more information for certificate holders to find and to and to get. We will definitely be communicating about all of this. There will be a need not just for information on the web, but also webinars themselves mm -hmm. that we will be organizing. There's a, a very significant communications piece that will need to happen all around the risk-based interventions procedure. What if I'm an NGO out there and I might be skeptical towards FSC or might be supportive of FSC? Will I have access to more data? Will there be more things that I can see? Will I be able to see more about the control that's inside FSC? Is there any changes for me? I think the short answer is yes, because there's a, a lot of digital transformation underway at the moment within FSC. We will be looking to make available in a very user-friendly way public summaries of audits that have taken place. They'll be presented in a digital format. Stakeholders will be able to not just read individual reports, but they will be able to pick up on trends. There is going to be a strong data analytics a dimension to the, the new sort of way in which we share information. So I think it's not necessarily going to translate into more information being available because we already provide public summaries on individual audits. But I think what's more important is it'll be presented to stakeholders in a much more user-friendly manner than has been the case previously. So if I now get back to you in a year's time, where do you then expect for us to be on systems integrity? What will have happened? 
I would say that in a year's time, we will certainly have the risk-based interventions procedure in place, and it will already begin to have an impact on how certificate holders are, are audited across the world. I think that we will have taken stock of the blockchain pilots and very likely will have begun the rollout of blockchain to certain high-risk supply chains. I think that we will have made significant progress in, I would say, bringing together all of the normative documents around policy for association that will clarify how we disassociate with companies and how we end disassociation with companies. And I think that we will probably have at least piloted the idea of blending with blockchain some other tools that are within our toolbox, for example, Wood ID technology. But I think that when you begin to bring together technologies to address a particular set of risks in a supply chain, there you, you get, it's very dangerous to talk about perfection in the system integrity world, but you get very close to having a system that's uh, immutable. So I think there's quite a lot of, of change that we will witness over the next year. It sounds like a busy year. It is. But of course, we have to keep a pace with the, the growth of the scheme as a whole. And so there is absolutely a lot of pressure on the system integrity team to keep developing and, and keep consulting on new approaches. But I would say there really is no choice. We have to. And it's going to, as I say, be central to our brand, really, to have best-in-class system integrity procedures. And that's something that we can hopefully be very, I would hope, proud of within uh, the FSC family as a whole. Final question. And I'm going to allow you to dream a bit big here. Uh, if I come back to you in five years, where do you dream that FSC has done? I mean, I think that we will probably be certifying different things by then. What those different things will be, a bit difficult to know, but perhaps we will be certifying a restoration, just as an example. And that would require a whole set of different system integrity measures to be put in place to meet those particular needs. I think we will be in a compliance uh, mindset. We'll be using technology fully for all of our system integrity. I don't know what the son or daughter of blockchain will look like, but if there is one, I'm pretty certain that we will be uh, deploying that particular iteration of blockchain. We'll certainly be using other forms of Wood ID technology. And hopefully by then, we will also be in a different place globally, just in terms of this project of putting in place a, a global collection of species. I think hopefully by then, we will have completed that exercise. So there will be references on record that we can use to uh, systematically test and verify the provenance of timber. Mm -hmm. Do you see our system being fully integrated by then so that all of these different platforms and tools and techniques are actually interoperable? I think the, the correct answer would probably be yes to that question. <laughs> Quite how it will come together is, is something to be worked out. But what I've grown to realize in system integrity is that our worst enemy is, is complexity. So it just becomes so incumbent on us to really find ways of rendering the complex simple. And uh, that applies not just to all of the things that happen out there and how violations of our PFA or how 
infringements of the terms of certification take place, but it also applies to our systems and to the platforms that we use. Simplicity is certainly going to be the way forward. Now, how all of that ties together, I can't tell, but I think it would certainly be a vision of ours to ensure as much alignment as possible between all of these different strands in order to very quickly arrive at conclusions and very quickly share those conclusions through communications channels. I think that is a very nice ending to a very interesting conversation. And I do hope that your wishes for simplicity and still completeness will come true. Thank you very much, Loa. Thanks for the interview. That concluded my conversation with Mark. I hope you now are much more updated on how policy of association, our framework for remediation and reassociation, blockchain and wood identity can and will be cornerstones in our work to keep FSE strong. If you want to get in touch with us or follow our work, I strongly encourage you to join our LinkedIn group. It's called FSC Digital Innovations and it's open for everyone. You can also always get in touch with me on digitalinput at fsc.org. I am Lola Worm and this was Forest for the Future.